Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You're listening to the Sira podcast from Qalam Institute. Before we get started on the podcast today, I had a very special message to share with everyone. If you've been listening to the Sira podcast, learning the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and hopefully benefiting along the way as well, the next step in your journey of not only getting to know the Prophet ﷺ, not only learning about how he lived his life, but also learning to live your life more like Him. The next step in that journey is to completely and totally immerse yourself into the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And there, in that environment, learn His life. That is what we call the Sirah Intensive. Where for 10 days, we ask people to come out on to Dallas, Texas, uh, come down here, spend 10 days with us, where we pray together, we eat together, we stay in the same place together, we learn together, we discuss things together, and we laugh and we cry together, honestly. And we not only feel like we get to know the Prophet ﷺ, you feel like you have really fallen in love with the Prophet ﷺ, and by the time you leave, you have a better sense of how the Prophet ﷺ lived his life, and you're inspired to at least attempt to do so. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you meet some really cool people along the way and make some really awesome friends as well. So that's that experience is what we call the Sira Intensive. So Sira Intensive is coming up this year again. So I want everyone to head on over to SiraIntensive.com, check it out, sign up, come join us for a life-changing experience, and also recommend it to family and friends. Jazakumullahu khairan. Uh, thank you very much for continuing to listen to the podcast, share it on with others. And without further ado, let's get started with this week's session. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratu Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. In the previous sessions, we've been talking about the ninth year of Hijrah, the ninth year of the Prophet's residence in the city of Medina. And we have essentially talked about all the major events of the ninth year. What we're going to be talking about here, and I'm, um, there's a few different ways to kind of go about this, um, just a very brief kind of uh, an explanation about the study of the Sirah, the study of the life of the Prophet. As is the case with any other area or field of study, there are different methodologies, different ways that scholars go about in studying the life of the Prophet ﷺ, or even writing about it or compiling it. Um, so when it comes to the life of the Prophet ﷺ, um, obviously some of the major sources, the, if you will, uh, the original sources of the Sirah, um, there are, of course, the collections of Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Al-Waqidi, Bayhaqi, a number of them. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, the great scholar, historian, mufassir of the Qur'an, has also written on the life of the Prophet ﷺ. His methodology in terms of organization is one that I've always been a bit impartial to. I appreciate kind of the way he organizes things uh, because of him being a historian in general, not only just writing on the life of the Prophet ﷺ, he has a good methodology in that regard. Secondly, he's a mufassir of the Qur'an, so he always uh, makes it a very particular point to uh, bring up issues pertaining to tafsir and the revelation of certain verses at certain junctures of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, which is also very 
insightful and very beneficial. The third thing is that Ibn Kathir Taala also was, you know, one of these scholars who wrote on the seerah of the Prophet as were others, but he particularly was also a scholar with a background in fiqh and usul. Um, and so what that essentially does, Islamic law and jurisprudence, what that does is that um, scholars of Islamic law or jurisprudence oftentimes are very, um, you know, organized in how they approach things. They're very particular about organization and about structure because that's the nature of you know, law and legal theory. And so what he does here is that oftentimes he'll organize it very, very well. So I'm following his particular methodology here in terms of organization. There is an overall theme from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. The theme from the life of the Prophet ﷺ is Al-Wufud Al-Waridina ila Rasulullah What that means is the different delegations that were coming to visit the Prophet ﷺ, many of them would inquire about Islam, the majority of them would end up accepting Islam. And so there's an entire theme that is present throughout the, even actually even before the Medinan period, even in Mecca, not very, it was not entire delegations. Individuals came to visit the Prophet ﷺ, like Tufail bin Amr from Addaus, like Abu Dhar from the tribe of Ghifar, right? There were individuals who came to visit the Prophet ﷺ. But in the Medinan period, there's a particular theme where there were entire delegations coming on behalf of tribes that were coming to meet the Prophet ﷺ, talk to him, interact with him, and potentially accept Islam as most of them did. Now, these delegations, the majority of them came during the ninth year of Hijrah. The majority of them came during the ninth year of Hijrah. That is the fact. A few of them came before. Some of them came even in the tenth year. But the majority of them came in the ninth year. And for this reason, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Bayhaqi, Waqidi, all the earlier, um, you know, original writers on the life and the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic biography, they have referred to the ninth year of Hijrah as Amul Wufud. A lot of times certain years of the life of the Prophet ﷺ have a particular theme to them. Okay? Um, of course, we have Amul Huzn, the 11th year of the life of, the, uh, of prophethood. The 11th year of prophethood before Hijrah is known as the year of grief and sorrow because it was the year that his beloved wife Khadija, our mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away and his uncle Abu Talib also died during that year. So this year, the ninth year of um, Hijrah, this is a very notable year. Many, many major events took place as we've talked about them. The expedition of Tabuk, the, very, the establishment and the reclamation of Hajj took place during this year. But this year has overall often been dubbed by the earlier writers of the Sirah as Amul Wufud, the year of the delegations. The year of the delegations. So what Ibn Kathir Taala has done is he at this particular point after talking about the ninth year of Hijrah, he's paused here and he has brought an entire discussion, a very lengthy discussion and detailing of some of the major delegations talking about all the delegations that came to visit the Prophet and he, so that's the way I'd like to approach it because it's a little bit more organized this way. So we'll be talking about delegations that came to visit the Prophet ﷺ. We're going to start off by talking about two delegations today. Hopefully, I aim to talk about two. Maybe we'll only be able to talk about one because we want to make sure, that especially the one that we'll start with, Banu Tamim. 
Banu Tamim, the tribe of Banu Tamim. We'll be talking about that. There's some very fascinating details about their particular interaction and their arrival and what transpired with them when they came to Medina. And if time allows, time permits, then we'll also talk about the second delegation, which was the delegation of Abdul Qais. There was another tribe by the name of Abdul Qais. This tribe of Abdul Qais was actually where we know the place that we call Bahrain, which even classically, even historically, even at the time of the Prophet was known as Bahrain. So the country we call Bahrain has always that region, that place has always been called Bahrain because of its positioning and its geographical location. So a tribe from Bahrain called Abdul Qais, their wafad, their delegation came and visited Medina, interacted with the Prophet ﷺ, became Muslim and went back. And So if time permits, we'll talk about that interaction as well. Now, the one point that I want to make, again, as part of kind of a precursor and introduction to the study of these delegations coming to become Muslim, is that Ibn Kathir makes a very particular point to say that even though popularly, in the books of Sirah, we know Amul Wufud is the ninth year of Hijrah, there were some delegations that came and accepted Islam before even Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah. Okay, he quotes Ibn Ishaq here, and let me read this excerpt, and then I'll explain one of the things that Ibn Kathir points out as a nuance about this issue. So Ibn Ishaq writes, "Lama iftataha Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam Makkah, wa fariga min Tabuk, wa aslam al-thaqif, wa bayyat, darabat ilayhi wufud al-Arab min kulli wajhin." So. He says that when, once Makkah had been, Makkah had come under, um, you know, the control of the Muslims. Makkah had basically come into Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ had dealt with the impending threat from the direction of Tabuk. And we talked about the expedition of Tabuk. And Ta'if, the second biggest city, home to the second largest or second most powerful tribe, Banu Thaqif, the city of Ta'if, they had accepted Islam and given their allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ as well. At this point in time, many Arab tribes and their delegation started to come and arrive in the city of Medina to basically accept Islam and give their allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ. Ibn Hisham writes, ذَلِكَ فِي سَنَةِ تِسَعَةِ That this was in the ninth year, وَأَنْهَا كَانَ تُسَمَّى سَنَةَ الْوُفُودِ And that's why it's called the year of delegations. Now, Ibn Ishaq goes on to write, and this is very interesting, إِنَّمَا كَانَتِ الْعَرَبُ تَرَبَّصُوا بِإِسْلَامِهَا أَمْرَ هَذَا الْحَيْمِ مِنْ قُرَيْشِ He says all of the Arabian Peninsula, the Arabian Peninsula, all these Arab tribes were essentially waiting out to see what would happen with the Quraysh. لِأَنَّ قُرَيْشٍ كَانُوا إِمَامَ النَّاسِ وَهَدِيَهُمْ because the Quraysh had always been the leaders of the, all the Arab tribes, and everyone had always followed the lead of the Quraysh. They kind of set the tone in all of Arabia. They were also the people of the Haram. Um, and then he goes on to say, They were also known as the direct descendants of Ismail, the son of Abraham. Right? And so that kind of gave them a position of like Sadat. They were the leaders of the people. Arab. They were the leaders of all the Arabs. Nobody denied them this position, this dignity, this prestige. Similarly, it was the Quraysh who were the primary opposition to the Prophet. So he's trying to say that while, of course, it's not exactly exemplary on the part of all these Arabian tribes, 
that are inclined towards Islam to kind of wait out and see how things pan out between the Muslims and Mecca and Quraysh, that's not exactly, you know, that doesn't exactly scream courage and, you know, that's not really inspiring on their part. That being said, at the same time, and this is one of the benefits of studying the seerah. When you study the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what you're studying is human behavior. You're studying how human beings react in a particular situation. So it goes outside of the theoretical, and it actually becomes practical. It becomes very human. So what you see here, although theoretically, we might sit here and in principle say, well, that's not very good. If you think it's right, then it's right. And if you think it's wrong, then it's wrong. But easier said than done. You have to also understand when life, literally life is at stake. And when you're standing at the brink of war, right, that a lot of times you are overcome by the circumstances you're in. And again, this is not to excuse that behavior, but it is to understand. Why? Because now when we operate within the community, when we are, you know, working amongst humanity, we also have to be able to understand and, and navigate similar dynamics, similar human dynamics. So he's saying here that while not very inspiring, it is somewhat understandable their predicament. You can see that they did have a predicament. These are small Bedouin tribes, not very large, not very strong, not very large in number, and not very powerful at all. And they're basically sitting here saying that for generations, for generations the Quraysh have been our leaders. They're the, we follow their lead. And right now, even though the message that Muhammad is giving to us makes a lot of sense, however, at the same time, the people that we've always followed, the people that we've always listened to and looked to for leadership are opposed to his message. So what do you do? So you have to understand there was a little bit of a predicament. So he goes on to say, Once Mecca basically was opened, was, was you know, the conquest had occurred, وَدَانَتْ لَهُ قُرَيْشِ And Quraysh came close to the Prophet Islam, And they basically, you know, Islam entered into them. At that point in time, the Arabs understood that there was no point to opposing the Prophet in Islam. That at that point in time, they all flocked to Islam as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran that when the help, the victory, the help and the victory from God comes, you will see the people flocking into the deen, into the religion of Allah in hordes tribe after tribe, wave after wave. So praise and glorify your Lord and seek His forgiveness for He is most accepting of repentance. Alright? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala foretold this fact within the Qur'an. And that's exactly what we saw come to fruition at this particular time. And so the very first lesson that I wanted to kind of highlight here is the fact that initially it might seem like people are on the edge. They're kind of teetering. They're Intentions might not seem very, very noble. They might not seem very noble in how they're approaching a particular endeavor. But, and we do know that some of these tribes apostatized, left Islam after the passing of the Prophet So you see them for what they are. But some of them became very true within their embracing of Islam. So that's where you're also able to understand and appreciate the fact that sometimes a story might start a particular way, but it can end very, very differently. That just in the beginning, if people struggle a little bit, 
That's not to say that they might not eventually find their footing in terms of their deen and their religion. And that's what we would see here as well. So the thing that I wanted to point out here is Ibn Kathir rahmahullah ta'ala, he says, having said that, Ibn Ishaq seems to say that all these delegations came after the conquest of Mecca happened. But Ibn Kathir says that the Quran tells us that that's not completely the case. Because there is a verse, there is an ayah in Surah Al-Hadid, ayah number 10. In Surah Al-Hadid, ayah number 10, Allah says, لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا وكلن وعد الله الحسنى he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, these two groups are not equal in their reward. There's one group that embraced Islam, joined the cause, fought by the side of the Prophet ﷺ before the conquest of Mecca. Then there is a group that joined the cause, supported the mission, and fought by the side of the Prophet ﷺ after the conquest of Mecca. These two groups are not equal in terms of reward. Those who embrace Islam before Mecca was conquered, before Ta'if became Muslim, they are greater in their reward because they took a greater risk. You know, we oftentimes talk about high risk, high reward. So, al-ujuru bi qadril juhud, right? It's a principle, al-ujuru bi qadril juhud, that the reward, compensation, I don't like that word, but you understand the idea behind it, right? The reward for a deed or an action is commensurate to the sacrifice that is made, right? It's commensurate to the sacrifice that's made. So because of that, it is very understandable, Ibn Kathir points out that there were some tribes that accepted Islam and came to visit the Prophet even before the conquest of Mecca occurred. And as we go through talking about some of these different delegations, I will highlight which tribe actually came before Mecca, uh, before the conquest of Mecca. And you know, by default, we'll understand that the majority of them came after the conquest of Mecca. There's a hadith in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari in which Amr bin Salima, Amr bin Salima radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he talks about the fact, وَكَانَتِ الْعَرَبُ تَعْلَوَّمُ بِإِسْلَامِهِمْ الْفَتْحِ فَيَقُولُونَ that there were many of the Arab tribes who were waiting for Islam, were waiting to embrace Islam, they were waiting for the conquest of Mecca. And they were saying, they wanted to embrace Islam, but they were waiting for the conquest of Mecca. They said, اُتْرُكُوهُ وَقَوْمَهُ let him first deal with his own people, meaning the Meccans, the Quraysh. If he is able to overpower them, overcome them, then he is the true Prophet. Then when the conquest of Mecca occurred, then all these different tribes started accepting Islam. And he even says, And even my own father and my own people accepted Islam at that time. And he says that when my father went on behalf of my people, representing my people to go and accept Islam, فَلَمَّا قَدِمَ the, the Prophet, they, um, he went to visit the Prophet and when he came back home to our tribe, he said to us, جِئْتُكُمْ وَاللَّهِ مِنْ عِنْدِ النَّبِيِّ حَقًّا I swear, I swear to you, I am coming back from having visited the true Prophet of God. قَالَ And he has given us these instructions. Pray this prayer at this time, pray that prayer at that time. Meaning, 
he brought back the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, the first thing he would teach them was about prayer. فَإِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةِ And when it is time for prayer, فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ Then somebody should call the adhan and he has taught us the adhan. وَلْيَأُمُّكُمْ أَكْثَرُكُمْ قُرْآنًا And whoever is most knowledgeable about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an amongst you, should lead you within the prayer. So now, moving forward from here, uh, one of the very first tribes that visited the Prophet ﷺ and embraced Islam. And this, I'll mention it here, this tribe actually came before Fatr Makkah. They became before the conquest of Makkah. This particular tribe, um, There was a, the tribe known as the tribe of Muzayna. 400 individuals from this tribe came to Medina, Muzayna, and they accepted Islam. In the fifth year of Hijrah, so not only before the conquest of Makkah, they came even before the treaty of Hudaybiyah in the month of Rajab. The Prophet when they asked the Prophet okay, we've become Muslim, and we see that whoever accepts Islam, they leave wherever they're from, and they come and they reside here in Medina. Hijrah, migration. So are we to perform the hijrah? The Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said, your hijrah is for you to go back home and practice and preach Islam within your own homes, like where you are from, in your own town. And he said, Go back home and you will be known as muhajirun there within your residence. فَرْجِعُوا إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ So go back home to your properties. And they went back home and they practiced Islam there. And they specifically said to the Prophet ﷺ that we want to come and visit you. However, the, the Prophet ﷺ, they told the Prophet ﷺ, the problem that we have, the problem that we have is the fact that there is... There are tribes of the Arabs between us and between you who are opposed to you. So we are not able to come and visit you and see you frequently. So please allow us, you know, the, meaning they were excusing themselves from the Prophet ﷺ that we will not be able to come and see you. Um, we will only be able to come and visit you during the sacred months. And that's why they came in the month of Rajab because the four sacred months at that time, the, the four sacred months are the month of Rajab, the month of Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, and the month of Muharram. And even the Arabs before Islam had the tradition that they would pause war. They would have a ceasefire during those four months because they were the sacred months. So they said the only time we can visit you is during the sacred months and that's why we've come in the month of Rajab. So they were excusing themselves from the Prophet ﷺ. Now, the next group that we're going to talk about is the people of Banu Tamim. Banu Tamim. So Imam Bukhari mentions, mentions this in his Sahih. Imran ibn Husayn radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who is a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, Atana farum bin Bani Tamim ila Nabi ﷺ. That the group of Banu Tamim came to visit the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, he said to them, Aqbalu al Bushra ya Bani Tamim. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that, Congratulations, O Banu Tamim, for accepting Islam. They said, Ya Rasulullah, qad bashartana fa'atina. You have given us the good news, congratulated us for becoming Muslim. We would appreciate if you gave us something, like some gifts or some money or something like that. 
The Prophet ﷺ did not like the way they immediately jumped to asking for something very material. And so the Prophet ﷺ turned from them. There was another group from Yemen who had come to accept Islam. The Prophet ﷺ said, Iqbalu al-Bushra. He told them, why don't you accept the, the glad tidings, the good news, the reward, the congratulations from me for having accepted Islam. Because Banu Tamim seems like they don't want to accept my congratulations to them. And the people from Yemen said, we accept the Messenger of Allah Okay, So the Banu Tamim would actually come around, but this was a very interesting interaction. And this is why, this is why the Prophet would praise the people of Yemen. The Prophet said, Al-Imanu Yamani. Faith is rooted within these Yemeni people. The Prophet in another narration says, Al-Hikmatu Yamaniya. That wisdom is a Yemeni trait. The Prophet ﷺ said the people of the Arabs, the Arabian Peninsula, the Arabs, the Arab tribes, the Bedouins, they are people of camels. And so they're a bit arrogant. And the Prophet ﷺ said the Yemeni people, they are people of like sheep and goats. And so they are very humble, modest people. And so we see that the Prophet ﷺ had a fondness for them because they were very humble people. And um, just as a side note, there's a great tragedy going on there in Yemen with the Yemeni people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for them. Um, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alleviate their suffering. So now going forward with the people of Banu Tamim, there's a very interesting story about them. Imam Bukhari mentions in his, in his Sahih, Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that when the people of Banu Tamim came to accept Islam and they became Muslim, the habit of the Prophet ﷺ was to appoint somebody from amongst them who seemed very wise and intelligent. The Prophet's habit was to appoint someone from amongst them as their leader, as kind of like the mayor or the governor over them. And he would report back to the Prophet. ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ asked the companions, Who do you think should be appointed as the leader? Abu Bakr anhu, he said, Ammir al Qa'qa ibn Ma'bad ibn Zurara. The, Abu Bakr radiallahu mentioned one person, his name was Qaqa, that appoint him as their leader. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he disagreed. He said, no, Amiril Akra ibn Habis. He said, no, I, my opinion is that you appoint Akra ibn Habis. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, now one thing that I want to explain is that, you know, a lot of times, these sahaba, they were like brothers. They were like brothers. They had been through so much together. And they had sacrificed so much together. And so as is the case with brothers or any family, disagreements sometimes happen, right? And so the, oftentimes it is the people that you are closest with that you have some friction with from time to time. But it's not ill-willed. There's no, it's not begrudging, like there's no grudge there. But it's just a natural consequence, again, of human behavior, human interaction. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to Umar, ma aratu khilafaka. Um, no, he said, ما أردت إلا خلافي. He said, you mention Akra's name only to disagree with me. You do this every time. I gave my opinion, and you got to mention somebody else. Umar radiallahu ta'ala said, ما أردت خلافك. I'm not trying to disagree with you. That's just my opinion. Why does it have to be about you? Why about your opinion? It's my opinion. Right? And so it's a very brotherly type of thing. And they, they went kind of back and forth a little bit. You do this every time. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Etc., etc. And as they were going back and forth, kind of obviously, as happens, you know, 
they, they got kind of excited. Voices were raised. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down revelation, Surah Al-Hujurat, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasulihi. O you who believe, do not, do not present your opinions ahead of the decision and the decree of Allah and His Messenger Like be careful about taking a very strong position before God and His Messenger Don't do that. Allah, be conscious of God. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went on to say, Ya amanu, la aswatakum O you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger and do not speak to him how loudly or excitedly how you speak to one another. Because if you do so, your deeds will all be ruined and you won't even realize what happened. You will become ruined. Don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Okay, very severe warning came down. And immediately they were very repentant. And they were very apologetic to the Prophet ﷺ. However, along with this, at the arrival of Banu Tamim, there was something else that happened. So this is one side. On the other hand, when Banu Tamim themselves, when they arrived in Medina, there was particularly a group of them that kind of arrived a little bit later. And, you know, they arrived later, they were excited to become Muslim and accept Islam. They find out from their other, you know, brothers from Banu Tamim, they got to meet the Prophet ﷺ and sit with the Prophet ﷺ. They arrived a little bit later at night. By that time, the Prophet ﷺ had already retired home. He had retired home for the day. So they wanted to meet the Prophet ﷺ. So as the narration goes, they went, they said, where's the Prophet ﷺ? And they said that, you know, he's gone home for the night. So they went to the home of the Prophet ﷺ and they started to call out to the Prophet ﷺ. اُخْرُجْ ya Muhammad. Hey Muhammad, come on out, we're here. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, did not like the way they did that. And go outside, they were Bedouin folks, so they were a little bit simplistic in that way. And so they went outside the home of the Prophet ﷺ and they started screaming for him to come on out and things like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse about these folks as well. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُنَادُونَكَ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْحُجَرَاتِ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ That these people who came outside of your home and are yelling at you to come on out, most of them do not understand what they're doing. Like this was not deliberate. They're not trying to disrespect you. They're not trying to bother you. They just don't know any better. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ صَبَرُوا حَتَّى تَخْرُجَ إِلَيْهِمْ لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ had they waited for you to come out to them, that would have been better. That would have been better for them. That would have been the better course of action. Now, the, thing, the reason why I bring that up, I wanted to point out here, it's very fascinating. Both of these, you know, the begin, this, is, this is also from the beginning of Surah Al-Hujurat. But both of these addresses came in the beginning of Surah Al-Hujurat pertaining to the arrival of the same group of people. One group goes to the house of the Prophet ﷺ, starts knocking and yelling from outside his house, Hey Muhammad, come on out, we're here, come meet us. That seems a little bit more disrespectful. And it seems a little bit more kind of, you know, bothersome. The other dynamic, the other situation was Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. 
The Prophet asked them for their opinion. They gave their opinions and they kind of, yeah, got a little bit, they went back and forth and they got a little heated with each other. But, you know, that's what happened out there in that situation. For the people who did, you know, who came and they started yelling outside of his house and telling him to come outside and bothering him so much, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala excused them. Said, they don't understand what they're doing. They didn't do it deliberately. Don't mind them. And listen guys, next time wait for him to come out of his home. And that's the better thing to do. Look at the tone of the ayah. How it corrects them. Versus look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tone is. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. Don't raise your voices. Don't have this back and forth in front of the Prophet Because your deeds will all be ruined and lost. It's more severe. And from this we kind of see the manhaj tarbawi, the kind of methodology that is there in terms of teaching and instructing that is present within the Qur'an and from the life of the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, may Allah be pleased with both of them, they are senior companions of the Prophet They have been there for a long time. They have had the benefit of the Quranic and the prophetic education. They've learned a lot. And so there's almost like this expectation of y'all should know better. Y'all need to know better. But with people who just came from out of town and just became Muslim, Allah says, they don't know any better. It's okay, they're not going to do it again. Right guys, you're not going to do it again. That's better. Don't do it again. Right? And so from this we also learn something very powerful once again in the community that there needs to be, there's a difference in expectation. Somebody who has had the privilege of knowledge and learning and teaching and spirituality and things like that, there can be a higher expectation from the person. But somebody who's just starting out, you cannot crush them under the burden of similar expectations. But you have to be very, very understanding. And you have to be very mindful and reasonable with folks that are just finding their way in the religion and that are just figuring things out. Now, the last thing that I wanted to mention here about Banu Tamim, um, and then it seems like we'll talk about the, the, the delegation of Abdul Qais in the next session, inshallah. But the next thing I wanted to mention was, when the Prophet ﷺ did come out to meet them, they, there was an interesting exchange, okay? And this is also something very fascinating about the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ and how accommodating the Prophet ﷺ was, okay? They said to the Prophet ﷺ, Jitnaka nufakhiruka. We came here and we would like to, you know, um, present ourselves to you. So, wa We have a speaker on our behalf. We have a poet who shall present on our behalf. Please allow them to present. It's kind of strange. It's the Prophet ﷺ. You come to the Prophet ﷺ, you don't talk, you listen. But... They don't know that yet. They, they're tribal people. They have a tribal system. When you go and you meet someone, then you present who we are. And these are our forefathers. And this is what we've done. And this is our tradition. And this is our culture. You know, all these formalities. On top of that, they're Bedouin people. So they're very into poetry and presentation. And they're almost, it almost seems very kind of like boastful and forceful. But they have this very like confident way of presenting themselves. They're very strong in their tone and presentation. The Prophet ﷺ understands that, right? The Sahaba would never do, dare to do something like that. But the Prophet ﷺ understanding, 
They're new. They're about to accept Islam. They're learning. They're figuring things out, how things work, adab works, culture works. So the Prophet ﷺ accommodated them and he said, I give permission to your speaker. Let him present. So the guy stands up, Atarid ibn Hajib. His name was Atarid ibn Hajib. He says, The ultimate praise is for God who has blessed us and given us all the blessings that we have and he is deserving of that praise. He has made us kings in the land. He's given us great wealth and we do a lot of good with the wealth that we are given. We are the most honorable of the people who live east of here. وَأَكْثَرُهُ عَدَدًا We have the largest tribe. وَأَيْسَرُهُ عُدَّةً We are very well equipped. فَمَنْ مَثَلُنَا فِي النَّاسِ You will not find people of our caliber amongst the people. أَلَسْنَا بِرُؤُسِ النَّاسِ وَأُولِي فَضْلِهِمْ Are we not the leader of the people? And the most virtuous of people? فَمَنْ فَأَخَرْنَا فَلْيُعَدِّدْ مِثْلَ مَا عَدَّدْنَا So whoever wants to match us in prestige, then let that person prepare what they what we have prepared. If we wanted to, we could say even more. <laughs> but we are shy to boast and brag about what we have been given. We are well known about who we are. And he said, I have said this so that you may also similarly present what, similar to what we have presented and you may also bring virtue as we have presented. And then he sat down. So the Prophet ﷺ said to a sahabi by the name of Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shammas. Thabit bin Qais. He told him, um, he was from Banu Harith ibn Khazraj. He was from Ammadin and an Ansari from Khazraj. The Prophet ﷺ said to him, قُمْ فَأَجِبِ الرَّجُلَ فِي خُطْبَتِهِ Stand and please respond to his address. Present similarly. So Thabit stood and he said, Alhamdulillah. So even the Prophet saw some saying, respond. Why? If somebody's maybe being inappropriate, you would not be... But the Prophet some understood, he's, they're not trying to be inappropriate. This is their culture. This is what they know. This is how they talk to each other. So the Prophet said, respond to him. So he stood up and he says, Alhamdulillahilladhi as-samawati wal-ardu khalquhu. The ultimate praises for God, the heavens and the earth are his creation alone. Qadafi hinna amrahu. God's will is done within the heavens and the earth. Wa wasi'a kursiyahu ilmuhu. And his knowledge encompasses everything, even his throne. Walam yaku shay'un qattu illa min fadlihi. Everything is from the blessing of God. ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنْ قُدْرَتِهِ أَنْ جَعَلَنَا مُلُوكًا It is also from the, the, the power of Allah that He has also made us kings within our land. وَاسْتَفَى مِنْ خَيْرِ خَلْقِهِ رَسُولًا And He chose the best of His creation to be a messenger to us. أَكْرَمَنَا نَسَبًا The Prophet comes from the best family. وَأَصْدَقَهُ حَدِيثًا And He is the most truthful in speech. وَأَفْضَلَهُ حَسَبًا And He has, comes from the most virtuous background. فَأَنزَلَ عَلَيْهِ كِتَابًا God sent upon Him His book. وَأَتَمَنَهُ عَلَى خَلْقِهِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed His favor upon His creation. فَكَانَ خِيرَةَ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْعَالَمِينَ 
and he is the best of Allah's creation, the Prophet ﷺ. And this Prophet calls everyone to believe in Allah. And the muhajirun from his people and his family members believe in the Messenger of God. And they are the most noble of the people in background, the best of the people in terms of intentions, and the best of the people in terms of actions. ثُمَّ كَانَ أَوَّلَ الْخَلْقِ إِجَابَةً وَاسْتَجَابَ لِلَّاكِ حِينَ دَعَاهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ نَحْنُ And then he said that one of the first of to respond to his call from amongst the people and those who answered the call of God when the messenger called them were us. فَنَحْنُ أَنصَارُ اللَّهِ We are the helpers of the religion of God. وَوُزَرَاءُ رَسُولِهِ we are the supporters of the Messenger of God. We fight the people until they believe. When someone believes in Allah and His Messenger, we cause no harm to them. And whoever rejects the Messenger, we oppose them for the sake of Allah alone. Forever, if that's what it takes. And it's very easy for us to dispatch them. And then he says, this is what I have to say to you here today. And he said, I ask Allah to forgive us, to forgive you, to forgive all the believing men and women. Assalamu alaikum. He said, Assalam. The narration goes on to explain that then a poet stood up and recited some poetry. The Prophet said, where's Hassan bin Thabit? He wasn't there. So they called Hassan bin Thabit and he said, you present to them. Then the poet from their people was kind of like, wow, this guy's spitting fire. So then he said, responded. And then Hassan responded and he responded and he responded. And they went back and forth like four or five times. All the poetry is written here in the books of Sirah. Suffice it to say, it's really fancy stuff. Um, when all of it was finally done, when Hassan bin Thabit was done, Aqra bin Habis, he said that... لَخَطِيبُهُ أَخْطَبْ مِنْ خَطِيبِنَا وَلَشَاعِرُهُ أَشْعَرْ مِنْ شَاعِرِنَا وَلِأَصْوَاتُهُمْ أَعْلَى مِنْ أَصْوَاتِنَا He said that their speaker presented better than our speaker. Their poet was more eloquent than our poet. And their voices were greater than our voices here today. And then they became Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ understood how to speak the language of the people. And that's more than just simply language in terms of, you know, what language you're speaking, but even the culture of the people. And he knew how to talk to people and win people over and bring them closer to Islam. And then that's when the people of Banu Tamim, they accepted Islam. And in, in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu mentions, لا أزال أحب بني تميم بعد ثلاثين. He says, I will forever love the people of Banu Tamim for three reasons. I heard these three virtues about these people from the Prophet directly. Number one, the Prophet said, They will be amongst the fiercest of the opponents to the Dajjal, the Antichrist. Number two, Aisha there was a woman who used to work in the home of Aisha. She was a slave, she was from Banu Tamim. The Prophet told Aisha, Free her because they are from the children of Ishmael. 
They are from the children of Ismail alayhi salam. So, and thirdly, when they sent their annual zakat, their sadaqah, their charity to the Prophet they sent it to be distributed amongst the poor. The Prophet said, هَذِهِ صَدَقَاتُ قَوْمِي This charity is coming from my people. The Prophet referred to Banu Tamim as my people. So he said, so Abu Huraira says, for that reason, I love the people of Banu Tamim. And that's how the people of Banu Tamim became Muslim. So inshallah, we'll go ahead and pause here. In the next session, we'll talk about the people of Abdul Qais that came from Bahrain and became Muslim. And a real uh, quick announcement as well is that uh, next week, next Tuesday, we won't be having the Sira class. Uh, inshallah, I'll be accompanying the group that's going to visit uh, Spain and to study the Islamic history in Spain, inshallah. So uh, we hope that, inshallah, that's beneficial. Um, but uh, from the week after that, inshallah, we'll resume uh, the session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta,